Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Mr. Dutton, first of all, that is just way too formal to start an email to me. Just just, just address them to Jim. That, that makes it just nice and easy for all of us. I have Max Tile, similar to Hardy Board, on my house that was installed by a well-known builder in DFW. I have one piece, a 4 by 8 sheet, that is cracked down the middle of the sheet. I tried talking to the builder, and they started talking about soil shifting. I contacted Max Tile Company and sent them photos. After inspecting, they said that the sheets were not installed properly. Now we get into naming the, con- the contractor. D.R. Horton is the builder. And I need to have this replaced and other sheets fixed. Max Tile is willing to send me three sheets, no cost. Do you know of anyone that will install them and fix a couple more that are pulling away from my house? I also plan on contacting D.R. Horton after this is completed. I live between... Crandall and Forney area, thanks. Well, first of all, let me tell you, if you have an issue like this, the first thing I'm going to tell you is contact the builder. And I know you already did, but you now have some additional information. You actually have the manufacturer telling you it was installed improperly. So contact the builder in writing. If you haven't done it in writing, you haven't contacted the builder. Because in Texas, the builder the contractor, whoever it is, has the right to come out and fix their problems. And unless you gave it to them in written form, and there's a certain way you have to address it, for that I'm going to refer you to an attorney, but you want to make sure you get it addressed properly because otherwise you'll be paying for the contractor and you'll get nothing back. But by putting them on written notice, if they still disagree and don't take care of it, now you can get it fixed And if it's a small enough amount, just take them to small claims. And for the amount of siding that you're talking about, I think it is going to be small enough that it would be a small claims case, not a, you know, full-blown lawsuit type thing. Now, the other thing is, it sounds like this is a newer home. And, you know, if D.R. Horton is saying, hey, you got a foundation problem, I don't know if they realize this, but typically in Texas, they're on the hook for the foundation for the first 10 years. So the secondary thing I would do is I'd make darn sure I got that foundation checked, especially if that's what they're using as an excuse, because that, again, would kick it back into the to their hands. So you got two ways of going about it. One, the manufacturer is saying it was installed improperly. Two, if they're trying to tell you it's a foundation problem, <laughs> that's still their baby. So, again, put this all in writing, send it to them certified, and I, I, again, I would contact an attorney first just to make sure I got all my bases covered. I wouldn't necessarily have them send the letter yet, but I would darn sure have them review it and go over everything with you prior to sending that letter. And I think you're, what you're going to find is that's going to get your problem taken care of. And my house is 43 years old with an addition in 1987. The issue is I have a room 20 by 20 that is sunken 14 inches in the past 43 years. It has leaked water, but only when it's rained lots for three or four days. Like the groundwater has gotten high, it has leaked 
about six or eight times in the last 43 years. I want to pour a foundation and make it level with the rest of the house. My question is, do I have to do anything special besides having a foundation put in? Is there an expert in the field that I can consult? Terry. You know, this is pretty easy, and actually a lot of people who have those old sunken living rooms from the 70s have this problem because the corners will tend to crack over time, and you start getting water seeping in and stuff. Do you need something special? No. If it's only six inches, you can back a concrete truck up to the window, put the chute inside, fill it up, be done with it. Now, if it's an 8 or 12-inch one, you actually can put sand in there first and then fill it with concrete, but I'll tell you, for my money, I would just fill the whole thing with concrete and be done with it. Sometimes people worry about the weight of the concrete. Forget about it. It's spread out over a large area, and it's truly just making your foundation stronger. If you want some reinforcing in it, use a fiber reinforcing. The concrete truck just mixes it right there on site, and it makes the concrete a little bit hairy, but that wears off over time, and those fibers hold the concrete together. But is this a difficult job? Not at all. Any uh, concrete contractor should be able to take care of this for you. Pull up the carpet. If there's tile, leave it down. If there's carpet, like I said, pull it up, the tack strips, all that stuff. Clean concrete, dump it in, you're good to go. Frank, welcome to WBAP. Hey, Jim, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Yes, I have. I, I have a question. I have a AC unit uh, that I bought eight years ago. It's a, a train, and it's. I guess it's developed a a, a leak. The, the Friana is low in it, uh-huh. and I and I you know I've seen some of these stop leak products, and I I didn't know if that's if that's an option to put something in in the system first and then uh, then have it charged up, or if, if I should just stay away from that and find the leak. I would stay away from the stop leak type products for an AC system. And the reason I say that, you know, what, what that's designed to do is plug anything where the, where the Freon is flowing through it. Well, okay. your compressor has all kinds of little ports in there that the Freon has to flow through. And it, it literally starts plugging areas that you really don't want plugged. So okay. although it gives you a good temporary fix now, it creates more problems for you down the road. Okay, well, yeah, thank you. I because I, I I kept looking at the, those products and I and I just I didn't feel comfortable, but you know it sounded like a good option to yeah it, you know it, it is a temporary fix at best, and on the worst side, it tends to increase the actual repair bill because you end up having to replace a lot more equipment. Okay. Where with with a leak like that, you know, if it's a small leak, a lot of times it can be found, fixed, and you're down the road good again. Uh, if it's in the coil itself, then yes, that can get rather difficult to find and even more difficult to fix in some cases. You end up replacing the coil, but that's still better than having to replace the coil and compressor. Right. Well, I, I appreciate your help. I, uh, I, 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 I know which way to go now. Kenny, how can I help you? I have a 1978 home with one uh, a two by four going from my roof joist down to my, my um, the rafters. Right. Any possibilities 
to get rid of that thing. It's literally a headache. Is that Why? What's still, what's it in the way of? What are you wanting to do up there? Oh, just, just right by my scuttle hole. And okay. And that's where I try to put packages and stuff like that and boxes, and it's just in the way. Okay. Most of the time, you are able to move those things. Um, there's a certain amount of them that were put in just as temporary supports when the structure was being built, you know, to hold things together while they're putting the rest of it on. But there's others that are in there in order to keep a, a roof from sagging and things like that. So my question is, where does it tie in to the roof itself? Is it in the middle or up at the top? It's at the top. Okay. Chances are, then, that was put in as a temporary support. Okay. The ones that typically tie into the middle, you know, of the run on the on the roof rafters, those are the right. ones that are there to add support so that you don't get sags over time. Okay. So if you wanted to just, you know, move it over or something, I don't think you'd have any problem at all with that. You think I should move it over rather than just get rid of it? Well, because I'm not there to look at it to right, right. to verify it, I, I don't want to say, yeah, knock that puppy out of there, and then, you know, two years right. from now the roof falls down. Understand. Understand. Okay, I appreciate it. The house cleaned on the outside. One of those things that we never r rarely do because well, the, the rain will wash it off. Well, there there's times where you do need to go out and clean the house up. And I want to caution everybody because the first thing everybody always says is, uh, can I use a pressure washer? Absolutely, you can use the pressure washer to clean the outside of your house. But don't get too close with it and don't use a sharp tip and don't use too strong a one. Now, you can use a 4,000 PSI pressure washer as long as you stay back away from the house a little bit. You can use a 1500 PSI pressure washer and you got to get closer to it. So use some common sense. The thing you got to be careful of when washing the outside of a house, if it's brick, for instance, you want to watch, especially if you got that, you know, Mexican clay tile brick, you want to watch it. You're not cutting into the brick and you want to watch it. You're not washing out mortar between the brick. As long as you're not doing one of those two items, you're doing just fine with the pressure washer. You're getting all the dirt and buildup off of it. Secondary, if you're doing wood siding, be extremely careful that you're not gouging into the wood. You literally, with a pressure washer, can cut a, a board in half if you're not careful, depending on how strong your pressure washer is. So beyond that, though, as long as you're not peeling stuff off, your pressure washer will clean the house up just great. Be careful if you're spraying the soffit boards that you're not shooting all that water up through the vents into the attic, though. Daryl, how can I help you today? Hi, Jim. How you doing? Wonderful. Hey, I've got a, I think it's called a post-tension slab. Some of the rebar exposed on the end. Should I just cover that up with some concrete, or should I have a foundation guy look at that? Now, if you're not seeing any cracks in the drywall, doors are out of alignment, cracks in the brick and stuff... Yeah, you're seeing a little circle with the wire sticking out, right? Right. Yeah. Just clean that cable up real good. Try to get rid of the, the rust as much as you can. Do not hit it, though, with a hammer. Um, and then patch it up with mortar again. Just put some mortar on top of it. Okay. Yep. Great. Appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Bye. 
very common problem. The reason I don't want you to hit it with a hammer, though, depending on which end it is, you could knock the shims loose, which would draw the cable in and makes it useless. But on the same token, I don't want you to leave those exposed. And, and a lot of houses, that plug comes off, and that's all the mortars called is a plug that goes over it. When it falls off and that cable and the shims and everything start to rust, eventually they will give way. So part of your home maintenance needs to be you clean that up and go ahead and cover it up again with mortar. Gary, how can I help you? Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my phone call today. My pleasure. I have talked to you a couple of times in the past months, and today uh, it's about air conditioning. And we are building a home in Marble Falls, a retirement home, and uh, it has a super insulation package. It has the uh, sprayed-in foam on the, in the attic up on the uh, roof. Uh -huh. uh, the sides and underneath the bottom of that house and with with good insulated windows but <clears throat> i'm calling to find out they put conventional plan to put conventional air conditioning units in that house and i'm wondering about uh heat pumps if that would be a preferred thing in the marble falls area if you know and also they they plan to put goodman units Goodman brand units in there, and I'd yeah. like to know if you have a have a have a feel for those. I do. Okay. Uh, first of all, I would tell you if I was building a house in Marble Falls, yes, I would be having a heat pump in there uh, because is this, this is an all electric home. It is an all electric home. Yeah, and that when you do have to run heat, and you know, let's face it, up there you do run your heat some at night. Uh, it is so much cheaper to run heat pump than it is the strip heat. It, it just it, it will pay for itself o over just a short period of time. Uh, as far as the the type of air conditioning system, really in when you're when you're sealing the whole envelope like they're talking about doing there, your air conditioning system is what controls the humidity level and fresh air in that home it literally has to have a vent going outside to draw fresh air in uh, i really would recommend you look at some of the variable speed systems instead of just a standard air conditioning unit and the reason for that one they they will adjust the speed of the fan to better control the humidity levels inside the house. And if that's not controlled properly, you literally can have the wall sweating in, in one of those. Okay. Uh, as far as a Goodman system, that is the cheapest of the cheap available for builders. That's what I've found. That's what I have learned since I heard this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is not, I mean... Some builders will tell you, oh, it's the best thing out there because that's what they're buying the cheapest. And so, they're, yeah, they're going to tell you it's the best thing out there. Uh, would I tell you I wouldn't buy the house because they're putting a Goodman in? No, I would just be prepared that within 10 years I'm going to be replacing it. Yeah, good. That's that's good advice. Uh, uh, the the plan was to put two, two three-ton units on a 2,400-square-foot house. Does that sound like too much tonnage to you? Two, three tons on a 2,400. 
you know, you got to do a load calculation, but I got to tell you, from what you just described to me with the insulation and the, uh, the upgraded windows and all that, it very well could be. Tell them you want to see the load calculations to make okay. sure that they actually ran the numbers to get the right size. And I hate to do it, but I got to let you go with that. John, how can I help you? Hey, I really, really appreciate your, your words of wisdom as well, Jim. Just thank you again for what you do. When a hydrostatic test is done on a house and it shows there's a leak, and how that works to okay. exactly where that leak is, then I have one more question if you get a chance. Yeah, let's start with that. The way an isolation test is done, okay, for everybody listening, first of all, you do a static test. And the static test is where you plug the sewer system from exiting the house, fill the entire system with water, and see if it holds. If the water level goes down, then you start doing what's called an isolation test where you use test balls that you slide up the lines, you inflate them, and fill different sections of the sewer system with water to see if that section is holding or not. Um, you also can use cameras to verify that you're not getting leaked by the balls and, and things like that. But basically, you just keep getting the balls closer together in different areas filling up systems until you get it isolated down to here's where the break is here's where the break is and and a lot of houses will have multiple breaks so you're doing complete different sections of the house mike in friendswood what can i do for you my dad has owned his home in friendswood for 15 years now uh bought it new on a slab we had a guy he's been worried about termites and we've had a guy come out every quarter and throw some granules out uh-huh. and do a little spray on the base of the of the house and then terminex comes out and tries to sell dad this you know uh complete warranty right for any termite damage well he was reluctant to give me the contract but i made him give me the contract before we signed anything and i read over it and there's you know two dozen exclusions and uh outs and so we're not going to go with them uh, because basically they're a whole lot more money and, and I don't think it's worth it. But he said that the, whatever the guy is throwing with granules and their spray is worthless. And I'm not sure about that. So I thought I'd ask. All of it helps. Even regular extermination helps. Now, is it necessarily what's going to keep the termites away? No. I mean, obviously, houses that are being exterminated end up with termites all the time. But guess what? Houses that Terminex is doing and they have their bait stations and everything else can end up with termites also. Right. The, the whole purpose of the bait stations, and I've never, I, I've never understood this concept. The whole purpose of bait stations isn't that it keeps termites away or kills termites or anything else. It simply tells you, hey, there's termites here. You need to exterminate. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the impression I got was that it was uh, reactive rather than proactive in any event. And they said they're not going to cover any airborne termites, only termites that come up from the ground. And I thought, well, that's stupid. Yeah. so basically what we're doing now is sufficient, and, and I think I'm, I'm asking. Deal with it. If termites come, that's when you deal with them. Well, here's, here's the second part of my question. I'm from New Orleans, and there is a horrible termite problem there. 
probably yes. much worse than here. And there are banks that simply will not finance any house or any loan to a house that has not had a termite certificate or whatever you say every year for right. a number of years. Is that in effect anywhere in the Friendswood or the Bay Area? Not that I'm aware of. I, I've not not been asked for that. Now, okay. they sometimes ask for it, uh, it as far as when you're doing financing. But once right, that's, that's done, about, yeah, yeah, I mean, they'll sometimes say, hey, we need to get a termite inspection in order to, to do the financing. But it's not that you've got to keep certifications going. They just want an inspector to come out, look at I it, see. and say, yeah, there's termites or no, there's not. I see. Okay. And for my own edification, I mean, I've seen termites and I've seen, you know, their trails. and Yeah. But what should I be looking for around the base uh, or the foundation or, or anywhere for the first sign, is there something that I should keep an eye out for? Well, if they're coming up from the ground, you're going to see that tube that comes up. And no, like a crawfish tube? Kind, well, Not almost, but it, it but it's coming up the side of the slab. Ah, okay, okay. Almost so like a mud dopper. Like, like an ant pile, mud dopper, okay. Yeah. If they're flying termites, typically what you're going to find is higher up in the walls... Uh, on the inside, and this is after you've already got the problem going, you're going to see this little hole that comes through, and it looks like it's growing dirt. I've actually seen that, yeah. Yeah. I, ha I have seen that in a, a place I rented in New Orleans, so I'm familiar with that. Yep, okay. that's it. Okay. Well, listen, thanks a whole bunch. You've made me feel a lot better. All righty. Have a great afternoon. Vida, I am so sorry I, I jumped over you. That is okay, but I'm expecting some really good advice now. Oh, I will do my best. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, my husband and I are wanting to put wood floors in our house. It's about a 35-year-old house, and it's got 1975 sheet vinyl linoleum in part of it and then carpet in other parts, so everything's just on concrete. Right. And my understanding from the research I've done is that engineered hardwood is better for that than regular hardwood. Um, and have you heard that? And I'm also having trouble finding engineered hardwood that is not like hand scraped and distressed. I just want smooth. Where Where are you at? Brookshire. Okay. Come in on I-10. There's uh -huh. a There's a brand new floor and decor as oh, you're yeah. as you're as coming fact, into we town. Went there. Yeah. yeah, we we did go there, and they they have a great selection, but no. They didn't have any smooth engineered hardwood. They only have regular solid hardwood and also bamboo, which we don't really know anything about bamboo. Bamboo um, is actually one of the best wood floors you can get as far as durability. Uh-huh. Uh, it way outperforms oak or any of the other hardwoods. Oh. Uh, uh -huh. So if, if you like the looks of it, that mm -hmm. is a top-notch floor. Okay. And does that get just glued down, or how does that get installed? Well, it can be glued down, uh, depending on which type of flooring you get. If you've got oh, okay. a concrete slab, though, I don't recommend gluing it down. Okay. Uh, typically, what I recommend on concrete slabs is going to be a floating floor. And the reason for that, we get so much rain, moisture uh -huh. can soak up through the concrete. The glues start giving way over time. You know, it oh, used okay. to be wood floors were put down on wood screeds. We don't do that anymore. Now they want to glue them down, but I just, 
in what I do for a living, I see too many problems out there. And so mm-hmm. I avoid that. I've, I've got engineered wood floors in my house uh-huh. and they are floating floor. You put a mat down underneath as a, as a vapor barrier and soundproofing uh, and it works out great. Okay, so that's the thing. They call that underlayment? Yes, ma'am. That's the same thing? Okay, yep. okay, good. So you went with engineered wood for the same reason then, the humidity, that kind of thing? Yeah, now I will tell you, I've also installed regular wood floors. I went with the engineered when I did mine 14 years ago because mm-hmm. it was less expensive. Oh, okay. Well, if that's I had, always good, too. <laughs> if I, yeah, if I had my preference, though, I would use a solid wood. Okay, with an underlayment. Yes, Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. All right. Since we're talking about email questions, uh, let me get in here and I'll get you started with some with an email questions. Just had a new bamboo flooring glued down to a concrete slab floor in September. The house is about 40 years old. Some areas of the flooring are bowing up. Some are pretty severe. Where do we start to figure out? What's going on? I have a gut feeling we may have a leak under the foundation and have too much moisture for the glue to hold. Not sure. In one room, there was unexplainable moisture in the carpet, but the concrete did not appear to be wet. So we went ahead and installed the flooring. We have contacted the guys that installed the flooring. They came by and looked at it, and now we are still waiting two weeks for them to return to re-glue the areas. Just wondering how to test the moisture of the slab foundation before we have the floor glued down again. Okay, first thing, I hate glue down floors on concrete for this very reason. Too many things can go wrong. On concrete floors, I always recommend floating wood floors. Or if you want to nail down, you can put down sheets of plywood or skids and then go ahead and nail your floor down that way. But as far as how can you test for moisture, there is moisture sensors you can use. The easiest way, though, get a 12 by 12, by 12 by 12, I mean 12 inch by 12 inch square piece opened up, tape a piece of plastic down on it. If it starts sweating under that plastic within 24 hours, and you'll see it. I mean, you're getting droplets there that are accumulating on the plastic. You got too much moisture. Do not glue wood floors down. And wood floor installers, shame on you for not checking for moisture before putting these floors in. Doggone it. I, it doesn't take that much. I don't know why we keep putting this off. And I know contractors aren't regulated in Texas. I understand that. But you know, good workmanship and a sense of pride in what you do tell you, test for moisture before gluing down a con- on concrete. Plain and simple, it's not that difficult. And yes, things can change. You mentioned you may have a plumbing leak. That's beyond the control of the guy putting the floor in, especially if that leak wasn't there when he tested and put the floor in. That's the secondary reason why I don't recommend it. But at the very least, contractors start testing the darn concrete for moisture before you glue down floors it would save all of us a lot of headaches john welcome to krld how can i help you sure so i've got an exterior wall 
not where there would be any real water pipes unless it's like underground irrigation pipes. So up through the, so we have bricking on the floor and then kind of around the fireplace. Uh-huh. And there's white powder um, coming up through the bricks. The ones that are on the floor? Well, the, both on the floor and along the, and kind of on the wall a little bit. Okay. Um, and it, I mean, I, so the question is, how do you, like at one point I thought, okay, it would be a slab leak, but it's kind of a weird location because it's a formal living area. Yeah. So there's not really a water pipe that I know of that runs through there. Well, they, there can be because they can run those darn pipes anywhere. But if it was a water leak, you would know it on your water bill. Right. So I don't think it's going to be a water leak. Now, it's possible there's a sewer leak somewhere, but I don't think that's going to be the problem either. Uh, you mentioned this is the fireplace area. Are you getting any moisture coming down through the fireplace? Well, there's the white patterns inside the fireplace, too. And it, okay. when I say it's, it's a large surface area, it's probably yeah. four feet long and two feet wide. Yep. But it's just a corner of bricking. It's like a brick step that leads to an outdoor patio. Uh-huh. But it doesn't matter whether it's summertime, wintertime. It's this white powder. Yeah. And, and basically that's effervescence, and that's caused from moisture getting in and having a chemical reaction with some of the building materials that were used. Uh, normally this does not happen in the living area of a home, though. Uh, it happens a lot in garages and you know patio covers, things like that. So I'm really questioning if you're not getting some moisture that's coming down through the fireplace when we get some rain. Okay. And and it's possible then that it, that is pocketing in the bottom and you know just allows it to to stay moist because there may be a a recess in the bottom uh, in the concrete for for the fireplace. So that would be the first thing I would check. Uh and and really to check that go up top is your is it brick on the outside of uh, where the fireplace is as well all the way up? All the way it, up. Okay. Break all the way up. Go up on the top. First thing you got to look at is do you have a chimney cap up there, or is it just a cap over the flue that comes out of the brick? Pretty sure it's a chimney cap. Okay. Second thing then to check is to make sure there's not any rust pits in it or rust holes in it where the moisture is getting down under that and then traveling through the brick all the way down because that's kind of what it sounds like may be happening. Super. Is there a, now, who would you call to do that? A chimney sweep can do it. Chimney sweep? Perfect. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. Now, that's if, that's, if that's not it, there's one other thing you may want to consider doing. Uh, if it looks like the moisture is traveling in through the brick on the outside of the fireplace, and that can happen, uh, all you got to do is use a masonry sealer. You, have, you can put it into a pump-up like a bug sprayer. Uh-huh. Put the masonry sealer in there, you spray the brick down, it absorbs in, and it keeps the moisture from penetrating through the outside of the brick to the inner parts of it and traveling down. Great. Okay. Awesome. I appreciate your help. Thank Take you. Take care, John. Anytime you got effervescence, there's got to be a moisture source somewhere. Now, it can be just ground moisture coming up, but the fact that it's up in the fireplace tells me it's not just ground moisture coming up. Ron, welcome to KRLD. Hi. Uh, I've got uh, three tiles. They're ceramic 12 by 12 tiles in the kitchen. 
Mm-hmm. And I also have two more same size in a bathroom, which is not adjacent. And they're getting thin cracks all the way across the tile. Yep. Is that going to be foundation? Not probably not. What do you think it is then? Well, I the, see no wall problems, no door problems, yeah, no window if, problems. If you're not seeing any problems with doors, sheetrock, you know, all that kind of stuff, I can guarantee you it's not a foundation problem. What causes most cracks like that, especially when they're just hairline that way, concrete expands and contracts with the temperature changes. And the larger area of tile you have, the more likely you are, you're going to go over one of those expansion cracks is what they're called. On a driveway, we got, you know, and roads and everything else, we got expansion joints in the concrete to control where those cracks happen, you know, to, to ease up on the, the cracking of it. We pour our slabs and we don't have any of that. And so they get these hairline cracks that run through them. And at times it can come right through the tile and that's really all you've got. Okay, but would the when I take the tile up, would the crack be in the slab also? You bet. Okay. All sl- all concrete has cracks in it. Okay, I was just trying to figure out if I need to call a foundation person nah, out here. I, I am a foundation guy, and I can guarantee you that's not a foundation problem. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you it. You bet, Ron. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, now, real quick, there is a fix for this. When you put down new tiles... Use a mastic that has some elasticity to it, and that allows that little bit of give so that when the concrete and the tile are expanding and contracting at different rates, that it doesn't crack the tile. So there is a fix for the problem. Craig, appreciate you holding. How can I help you? I have uh, got a house, five years old, uh, foundation, uh, well insulated, but I've got a problem with my pipes freezing. Uh, I've never seen a house like this. It's all pecs, but all of my pecs comes down from the attic versus coming up to the foundation. Uh-huh. Um, luckily, here in Texas, we don't have to deal with uh, freezing pipes very often, but every winter when it gets below 32, uh, I lose my water. I've kind of inspected it and looked at it, and all the pipes are wrapped. It's insulated extremely well in the attic. Um, we just prepare ourselves every winter because we don't know a, a good solution on how to prevent it. Do you know where the pipe is freezing? Because I, I, I don't, it's not everywhere, found, I'm sure. No, it can't be everywhere. Um, I did find one key mm-hmm. um, that came off of my hot water tank. Okay. And it didn't, you know, it, it was missing just a little bit of the wrap. Um, th- this was a couple years ago, but it right. seems like, now it's it's the hot water and the cold water lines both. Um, and I, I'm assuming so you it, have a manifold up in the attic that has valves for turning off. I do not. Uh, okay. I'm familiar with what that is. Uh, I've, I've got a, a freshwater line that comes from the curb, uh-huh. and it comes up a southern wall, and then once it gets into the attic, then it it just spider webs everywhere. Okay, so th- there's no valves up there to. That is, that is correct. This, okay. this house was built before they started putting the manifolds in. Okay. If you're losing the both cold and hot water, I'll tell you what I'm really questioning, if it's not the pipe in the wall that goes up to the attic. Correct. Now, that, that one is on the south side, which 
you know, once it gets so cold, I know direction really doesn't make much difference. Yeah, no. Uh, um, but, yeah, the house faces south, and the the fresh water that comes in goes up a south wall. And how cold does it have to get before it freezes? Uh, 25 or colder. Yep. I'm betting it's going to be the pipe in the wall. And it may be as simple as where it comes through the plate in the top of the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, because right there it's exposed the most to the elements. And I'll bet you that's where it's freezing up. I, I And I'll be honest, I've got one pipe in my house where the uh, mine's on a northwest wall that does freeze and i've got it wrapped and everything else and it still freezes when when we get down like 17 degrees and it stays there for two days that pipe will freeze on me uh, but for yours to freeze up in that 25 range tells me that's one that's got to be exposed and that's the only place where i can think of where it'd be exposed long enough to freeze at those kind of temperatures Right. The obvious for me is, you know, just more insulation. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, and really what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to do where that comes through, it should have foam insulation all around it. And then the pipe wrap insulation comes up to where the foam is. And I'll bet you if you get up there and if you can manage to get over where that pipe comes up, I'll bet you it doesn't have the spray foam insulation around it where it drops through the two by four. Gotcha. Would it be as simple as just going and getting a can of great stuff or expendable foam, yep. running the straw down it, and just fill it up as much as I can? That simple. Okay. I like simple. <laughs> yeah, I wish everything in life was that simple, but yeah, I think that's <laughs> I think that's really all you have to do. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information. Um, I've I've been all over the attic yep. thinking it could be this pex because the pex is so small it's going to freeze first. But that makes a little bit more sense that it could be the, the main line coming in before it splits off. Yeah. Yeah, it would have to be because otherwise you would still have hot or cold or something. But uh, for both sides to be affected, it's got to be the main line coming in. Another kind of along the same lines is I've got a master shower head that's on the north wall. Uh-huh. Um, it It is frozen before before the rest of the house has. Yeah. And you know, they say leave your, leave your water, you know, let it trickle. Except for the valve that I've got in that shower, I can't. You can't trickle hot and cold because right. when you turn it, it turns all the cold on before you get to the hot side. Yep. Yeah, and it, and it's more than likely going to be the same thing. It's just not insulated heavy enough around that pipe. Gotcha. I appreciate the information. You bet. Take care. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.